It's This Week in Sleeves with your host, the great lord, Joshua Riegel and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking swordplay. Not swordplay fucking. Or any kind of fucking, because the martial world can be a dirty, grimy place of gory violence and not sexual shenanigans. And But all of that can warrant a category free classification. And it did, in the case of the 1993 Wuxia film The Assassin. My name is Lisa Kay, and with me is the great Lord Joshua Regal, still searching for the boobies of this film. I've watched it four times. I'm, I'm looking for it. It's, it's, it's in there someplace. Maybe in the HD version, we 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 can finally circle and is it, is enlarge. Is it on the Criterion uh, subscription service? Or? It is, but you know what? You know what's crazy? That's not as far fetched of a notion as you might think. The Criterion streaming service works different. It isn't just the disc releases all on the streaming. It's whatever Jonas Films have acquired. So you have shit like Fearless Hyena Two on there. Oh shit, really? You know, the patchwork Jackie Chan film where, yeah. where they use doubles and uh, recycle footage from elsewhere. So it's clearly what Janus uh, acquires but don't always uh, plan the disc releases. I don't know, you know. They're <laughs> not planning that Fearless Hyena 2 uh, Blu-ray box set. Like uh, we, today we're going to announce Akira Kurosawa's Dreams on 4K and Fearless Hyena 2. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> You know, the the, the community would uh, go into a hissy fit if that was the case. But it, it's great for someone who's actually not supposed to be able to watch the Criterion channel and surprisingly being able to sign up for it as long as you enter your payment information. I was really surprised. I was expecting to sort of like hope they do a PayPal option because PayPal usually gets you in and then I have to VPN it or something like that. Nope. Just uh, credit card information all the way from over here. And the Criterion channel lets you in. Uh, and uh, they're, on, they're on the Apple TV thing as well. So I, so I got the streaming app nice and convenient right there for me. Because I don't have the time to pick up uh, all uh, boutique label releases out there. So um, it's been a, so, so don't be surprised, Joshua, that you'll, you'll, you'll find the assassin there um, one day. My wife, uh, she's kind of making us cut down on the streaming services so i don't know if i'm be getting the criterion uh streaming service anytime soon but one day yeah you gotta keep disney plus at the very least because you've got the kitties the daughter loves frozen too no how, how is she into uh, succession at all <laughs> <laughs> like we gotta keep hbo she likes those she, she likes the profane guys she loves barry yeah she, she, she likes the scottish guy who says fuck off all the time. <laughs> and he's got a naughty last name as well, Cox. Uh, but yeah, you're probably right. You don't need all of them. But I, I'm quite selective with my streaming services in, in actuality. I, I was contemplating canceling, canceling Netflix, but then I found a couple of series that I wanted to pursue. Uh, I'm going to keep this off topic for a minute. I'm watching Russian Doll because I'm a big fan of Natasha Leone. I think she's a cool lady and she's talented as well. So... Uh, but other than that, it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much that and Criterion, to be honest. Yeah, I had actually did drop uh, Netflix, but uh, I'm kind of regretting it a little bit because uh, the new season of uh, 
I think you should leave is about to come out. And, oh, no, I don't watch that. that. I think you oh, it's leave. the best. It's the best. I think you should leave. Show. We left. <laughs> you haven't seen like the meme of the guy in the hot dog suit who's saying, we're all just trying to find the guy who did this. You hadn't seen that? Damn. I'm 43 years old. I'm not supposed to know oh, the hot man. memes, motherfucker. Dude. <laughs> You're on the internet, though. You get it. But uh, you, you should watch that. I like, like Ron Swanson memes. I like Ron Swanson memes and gifs. <laughs> that's pretty much it but uh, indeed so I'll keep an eye out if the assassin goes up on the uh, goes up on the Criterion channel then uh, you'll uh, you'll have a negotiating session between you uh, your kid and your wife in terms of uh, can we get it back please <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate let's uh, get going this is this week is day 69 but no I have I, I had no concept of how to celebrate it. We were talking of uh, how do we do mindfuck for the third time? Well, I don't know. We have to go on the road was my suggestion, but I don't go anywhere. So uh, <laughs> going on the road is not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Traveling road show where we talk mindfuck and do commentary on it. It's a good idea, but... Uh, it's in the works. You uh, Because you, you, you're an amateur carpenter, so you, you, you can build us like it is... Uh, display in court i can do i can do as a stage or, wa- or a wagon that way we pull out a stage wherever we go to all the towns out there the traveling mindfuck show <laughs> what's it about well mindfuck we can display the vhs transfer on uh, like in a, a 90 inch 4k tv <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is that <laughs> what was your say about the buns and a hot dog in terms of the sex scenes in that one <laughs> you had a quote when we did the commentary for Mindfuck anyway let's talk about uh, the assassin uh, but uh, first of all uh, this is uh, this week in Sleaze on the podcast on Fire Network all uh, the shows that we have done are on that very site uh, but you can find us wherever you find podcasts as well whether Spotify Apple Podcasts Stitcher or what have you this week in Sleaze is out there we have social media Facebook discussion group our Twitter handle is at podcast on fire and we're on Instagram as well, uh, intermittently. Uh, that's uh, Podcast on Fire as well. So type t- type us in. You should find us on social media and all that good stuff. Uh, uh, I know you, you do intermittent uh, YouTube uh, content as well, but uh, it's still relevant to plug your uh, your channel. Uh, if, uh, if it's still online, that is. I haven't checked. Uh, <laughs> it's still there. Uh, weird cinema on YouTube. Uh, I haven't done a video in a long time, but I've still been working on that Bruce Ploitation. Actually, I haven't been working on it in probably almost a year just because the arcade took over like all my free time that I had. But the arcade's being finished now. Um, and after that... Uh... After that, I put it away and never play it and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like I am the, 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 the process it has done its thing. <laughs> you know, it is it is one of those things where it, that kind of happens. But it is, it's also just like... And it's rare that we ever buy, have anybody over at the house. But the second you do, it's one of those cool things that people are like, oh shit, let me... I want to play that, you know? It's a little centerpiece. But anyway, that's almost done, and it's back to Bruceploitation. I've already been re-editing the script for like the third time, and uh, plan on knocking out as much of that as I can. 
I heard rumblings of a boutique label of sorts is going to go into Bruce Ploitation, but uh, those are just rumblings and not announcements. There's a documentary coming out right now. Yes, I've heard that as well. Yeah, yeah uh, I forget the name of it, but uh, it's uh, from the guy who does uh, the Clones Cast podcast. Uh, I know he's involved in it at least. He may just be being interviewed, but they're going to have interviews with like Bruce Lai and a bunch of other guys, so it's going to be good shit i think yeah it's not a waste of time to document that stuff because it's also that topic is i'm sure filled with uh, misinformation galore absolutely it is okay to care about exploitation in film uh, uh, exploitation of uh, uh, actors that made it by uh, casting someone who looks like said actor whether bruce uh, bruce or even jackie chan shit uh, the, that's, yeah. a, that's a topic in itself uh chance chance exploitation so uh, hell yeah very cool we'll link to it with cinema there's a couple of cool documentaries there uh asian cinema related and uh not asian cinema related yeah. so uh, good on you buddy let's uh head into a little music break uh, listen to a piece of music from the assassin from 1993 so again we're going category free but without the saucy content i suppose and uh that uh, matters in our ongoing coverage as well. So hope you enjoy it. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and we're going to talk one movie this episode. It's The Assassin from 1993, rated category free for, uh, well, as we'll state, for everything, everything else except <laughs> sex. <laughs> no, it's uh, rated category free for a number of other content in the film, uh, pieces of content. But the uh, plot, first of all, from the Hong Kong digital review of the film. The film opens with the character of Tong Po Ka, played by Zhang Fengyi, and his lover, Yu, played by Rosamund Kwan, on the run from an enraged mob. Upon capture, Yu is taken away and Tong is charged with kidnapping, having his eyes sewn shut as punishment. After enduring this torture for a time, he is forced to battle a group of other prisoners in a life and death match. As the winner, he is rechristened, rechristened Tong Jan, named the kingdom's chief assassin and paired with a neophyte killer called Wong Kao, played by Max Mok. After numerous gory homicides, uh, during which uh, Tong frequently hacks his uh, opponents into pieces, Tong finds himself unable to carry out his next assignment, the murder of a young child. Retreating from the world of martial arts, he, re- he reunites with Yu, who now has a husband and son. In retribution for Tong's betrayal, the royal eunuch has Yu's village burnt to the ground, prompting Tong to pick up his sword once more. In the interim, Wong Kao, Max Mok's character, has become the seasoned and ruthless killer that Tong once was, and now isn't about betraying his erstwhile friend in order to gain the post of top assassin. A little bit of a uh, once upon a time in China a reunion of sorts here with Max Mok and Rosamund Kwan, uh, but I don't believe they share scenes here. Uh, anyway, so obviously the category free classification was based on the content of your film how graphic it was and sounded, and it didn't didn't mean that it was automatically a softcore porn film. 
when put into this um, category. I know that isn't sensational information, but it's worth pointing out that even a comedy could be uh, category-free classified. Uh, you have Stephen Chow's Floating Scholar from this year, which was rated uh, category-free, still made all the money. And I believe that's a mixture of uh, a lot of on-screen uh, blood spitting. But I think uh, language has its uh, uh, is, is is the reason to a degree as well. So uh, that, that wasn't a kiss of death for, for the movie. It wasn't a porn rating. But uh, we uh, we certainly got a lot of that <laughs> with that classification, of course. Uh, so The Assassin is a case of uh, coming out of the, and uh, within the 1990s new wave, wuxia and kung fu wave, but pushing it into category three through violence and grisly sights. Uh, gore, violence, grisly sight. Uh, making the martial world uh, grim and ugly in the process. Uh, the Assassin was directed by the ever so reliable Billy Chung, who was making his fourth feature here, and he was behind uh, a movie we've covered, the domestic abuse category-free shocker Love to Kill, starring Anthony Wong, but uh, Billy has directed all manner of films. You know, it's so long ago since we watched that, so I'm sure only li- little like sparks, little sparse memories of it remain, but... Uh, it's one of Anthony Wong's like shitbag roles that is a little bit uh, under the radar still uh, because yeah. he's a uh, grand old prick in that one and it, it's the domestic abuse portion that's um, pretty um, tough to uh, withstand to be honest and uh, he goes on a murderous rampage and uh, raping rampage as well when he doesn't get his way. So it Sounds like Anthony Wong. And does some goofy comedy with Danny Lee as well. So, so there is that, but uh, that, uh, that's a good one, Love to Kill. But Billy has also directed movies like the wacky horror comedy Lost Ghost Standing from 1999, which is a fun little underrated uh, piece of horror comedy. 1996's uh, King of Robbery was a Category 2B true crime film starring Simon Yam. Uh, Billy directed Kung Fu Mahjong with, uh, along with Wong Jing and starring Yun Hua and Yun Chiu from uh, fr- you know, fresh off their Kung Fu Hustle pairing as the landlord and landlady Kung Fu masters in hiding. So uh, that was something that came out quickly after Kung Fu Hustle reuniting those two iconic performers from uh, Stephen Chow's film. And uh, Billy also co-directed the triad film Color of the Loyalty from 2005 again with uh, Wong Jing. And as these things go, he of course started out as an assistant director, as many uh, people do in the industry. And he worked on a little known and seen Hong Kong butcher. That was the first film to depict the killing spree of the taxi killer Lam Go Wan, famously depicted in the film um, Dr. Lam. But this was released a year or two after his arrest, uh, so I don't. It, I I seem to remember all details that we knew of by the time Doctor Lamb Doctor Lamb was made. They weren't as publicly known, so they do fill out uh, the frame with some other pieces of sort of serial killer psychology that are more tropes than anything else. But it's a dirty, grimy little film as well, Hong Kong Butcher, that uh, Billy worked as an assistant director on. Billy also worked on actioners such as Proud and Confident, The License to Steal, starring Mrs. Samohong Joyce Godensi, and has written a couple of films, including his own Lost Ghost Standing. I like this director, so, uh, akin to Herman Yao, who just sort of did every conceivable genre during the 90s and new millennium to a degree. Uh, but uh, Billy hasn't done what Herman has done by now. Uh, going on to being a blockbuster director 
Harmonyau made the Shockwave films, for instance, with uh, Andy Lau, and uh, they played well in uh, in Hong Kong and uh, China. So uh, he has uh, changed his uh, tack a little bit from the time he made like a Dating Death and uh, things like that. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's mainland star, the assassin's um, star, it's mainland China star, is uh, Zhang Fengyi. And he was enjoying his year of 1993, I'm quite sure, because he was one of the stars of the acclaimed uh, Farewell My Concubine from director Shang Kaijie and starring Gong Li and Leslie Cheung. Uh, he had a singing and dancing background as part of uh, an opera troupe and... Uh, an opera troupe of performing arts and he enrolled in the Beijing Film Academy at the end of the 70s where he excelled and made his debut on film in the 1980 film Treasure Hunting in Desert which is possibly, I can't confirm this, it became a little bit confusing looking at titles it's possibly that that film is the 1982 film Cutthroat Struggle for an Invaluable Treasure aka Shaolin Assassin so who knows, I haven't seen it so it's a little bit of confusing title shenanigans going on there in the early career of Zhang Fengyi the 1982 China film Rickshaw Boy was an award winner, uh, winning Best Picture, Best Actress, Art Direction and Sound at the Golden Rooster Awards. Uh, so that was an earlier uh, acclaimed effort uh, featuring Zhang Fengyi. Uh, but the 90s also saw him mix and match mainland China and Hong Kong film work and even Taiwanese film work. Uh, he was not afraid to take a bite out of roles that required this villainous turn. And you can see him in the cult favorite Revanchist that essentially plays like Once Upon a Time in China meets the killer. It's flying heroic bloodshed, Joshua. I'm not sure yeah. you, uh, you ever saw that film or not. So. I saw the first half of it. Or but, didn't, uh, then you didn't I see never... the best stuff, because the finale is the flying heroic bloodshed. Oh. No. No. March. March, why didn't you let me see the second half of the film? No. I mean, it is literally that. Once Upon a Time in China. The flying stuff and the killer mixing, mixed in. So they literally fly as they do with dual guns and things like that. It's fucking cool. It's cool as shit. <laughs> so <laughs> see the second half, for God's sake. Uh, note to self, see second half of films. I have it. I just hadn't uh, got around to it. You know how it is. I know how it is, but uh, it comes recommended and he's, um, he's, um, he's a cool villain in it. Uh, also, Zhang Fengyi co-starred in Clara Law's Temptation of a Monk that we've covered here on the show. The the film that uh, Joan Chen was in. It is uh, quite an uh, expensive and violent uh, wuxia film uh, that uh, had like Australian uh, crew on it. People that went on to shoot Lord of the Rings. You know, so it was kind of cool. Clara Law was a uh, Hong Kong film director that eventually transferred to Australian uh, film. Uh, the, the Australian film industry so it was kind of um, on its way already they had made uh, contacts of sorts so uh, like the cinematography of uh, all the Lord of the Rings films uh, shot Temptation of a Monk so pretty cool Zhang mm-hmm. uh, Fengyi is also in 1995 Sun Valley which is a stripped down quite rewarding swordplay film from the director of The Emperor and The Assassin that Zhang uh, Fengyi also starred in with um, Gong Li and John Woo fans uh, saw him playing the character of Cao Cao across the two Red Cliff films, and uh, he seems to be mixing select TV and film work nowadays. Those films I haven't pursued, but I know Me they're either. out. They're, I know they're out there, both in the condensed and uh, full 
length uh, form because uh, Radcliffe was edited into one film for certain markets, including America, I believe. But mm-hmm. it has also been released in full, ma- full as uh, as they were made as two films. The Assassin grossed about 3.7 million Hong Kong dollars during its run between the 23rd of September 1993 and 6th of October. And that expectedly didn't make it the conqueror of the local box office, uh, not even measuring up to its genre friends in the wuxia film uh, category. Uh, but again, this was for adults only. Perhaps that restricted audience flow a bit. Uh, but uh, we, we talked of that year's uh, Flirting Scholar, which was a category-free comedy. But it did star Stephen Chow, and Stephen Chow was king of the box office yeah. uh, in 1993. That earned 40 million that year. But new wave kung fu films in the top 10 included uh, Once Upon a Time in China 3. Uh, that uh, made uh, 27 million. And both Fong Sai Yuk films starring Jet Li made it into the top 10 as well. And finally, the Hong Kong Film Award winners for that year focused uh, largely on one film, The Assassin. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like, no one went to see it, but uh, they sure, uh, the awards <laughs> juries sure liked it. It was cool that uh, all those uh, body parts were flying around the place. Uh, no, but Derek Yee's uh, classic drama, C'est la vie, Mon Cherie, won Best Picture, Director, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Screenplay. As, and I suppose they did this connects to our show, The Upset That Year was that Anthony Wong won Best Actor, snubbing Lao Ching Wan, who was nominated for C'est la vie, Mon Cherie. And he won that award for The Untold Story. So category three, true life crime, grisly films. They uh, got into a sort of... Uh, acclaimed category by uh, grabbing one of those uh, best actor trophies. Anthony Wong doesn't care about that stuff though. He thinks it's just kind of uh, politics and uh, specialized decision making, not necessarily because he was so ever so excellent. But uh, it's a fact uh, that uh, that evening was going oh so well for C'est la vie mon chérie and then then that happened. Uh, I've, I've heard rumblings that that was the evening that Anthony Wong because he's, he, he's a trickster, he's a jokester he turned up in a, a Freddy Krueger mask to the Hong Kong <laughs> Film Awards. Either that or Freddy Krueger uh, shot uh, but changed for the um, awards, uh, the televised award ceremony so he wasn't there like Hi, kiddies! <laughs> Welcome to prime time, bitch! Like, what is he doing? <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yeah, so that connects to our little show here. And by the way, best action design, which the assassin could have had a shot in, went to uh, instead Corey Yun for his work on the first Fong Sai Yuk. So um, deservedly, it's a it's a it's a pretty wild uh, and creative um, film that that stood the test of time uh, as well. So um, uh, one of those early watches that uh, isn't nostalgic; it's simply good. The, the Fong Sayok uh, saga. Anyway, The Assassin, I, I know it was disappointing that it was uh, no rando sex scene uh, set in rooms with vanilla colored walls and no artwork on the walls. But still, in short, what did you think of The Assassin? I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for violent martial arts films, so that uh, shouldn't come as a surprise. But uh, I thought. You know, it looked like a movie that had a budget. It, you know, told, a, you know, the story you could say, well, you know, we've seen this sort of thing a million times. But oftentimes with, you know, these kung fu and martial arts films, that's really not the point. Uh, it's the action. It's the characters. And, you know, it's whatever 
the gimmick is for the film. And in this film, that gimmick is bloodshed and people getting chopped to pieces with swords, which happens to be pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Did it feel a little bit elevated compared to other violent martial arts films and therefore Category 3 is warranted? You think, uh, does it feel a little bit extra gore, a little bit extra graphic? We we can jump right into it, but the, uh, to me, the what probably sealed its fate as far as Cat Three is the sequence where the the eyes get sewn shut. You know, pretty much. We'll we'll get to that note early in my yeah. notes as well. But I think you're right. Uh, that that there, yeah, yeah, that definitely earned its stripes. Yeah, it was near. Uh, well, well, I get to that note. Uh, so uh, as for my short opinion, it probably. I mean, I do like it, but it probably deserves being lost in the shuffle a little bit amidst these types of wuxia films because it isn't that particularly uh, uh, like a special story. But it does move awfully fast through its narrative beats and drama, meaning despite serious intentions, it never really settles down long enough to make an emotional impact. But it means we get a fast-paced time set in a dirty, bloody martial world. And that atmosphere and depiction is quite alluring. In my opinion, I like when this world isn't uh, regal. It's, uh, it's you know it's fucking dark and violent and dirty, and uh, and there's a healthy amount of gore, some extreme gore even. So, so it, it's um, I don't know if you ever saw Ringo Lam's movie Burning Paradise. Yes. Speaking of Feng Saiyok, it's a Feng Saiyok film. It came out the year after this, but certainly made an impression as uh, the martial world with uh, all these flying folks has taken a dark, almost fantastical, you know, fairy, dark fairy tale-like turn. And it's good after so many years of the regal new wave kung fu wuxia films that we uh, that we get the, the other side of it. And obviously Choi Hawk's Blade made quite an impression as uh, something uh, kind of vile and dirty as well in design, so... Yeah, so so it, it remains a, a nice counterpoint to movies like Fong Sayuk, which is uh, comedic and certainly regal in its design as well. I might as well ask that. I mean, does that add a lot to the film? That it is uh, that it is so it's a desert set film in a way, and uh, it's it is stylish blue, but it's not a very regal and friendly film. I mean, is that good atmosphere for you as well? Absolutely. It's almost at times like a post-apocalyptic film, you know, like uh, especially like look at Max Mach, like the generally he's Mr. Handsome, you know, and like look how they do him, his hair all blown to bits and just he looks like a a killer, you know, especially during the latter half of the film. He just becomes this uh, vagrant, disgusting murderer he looks like he would be coming off the set of a Mad Max film. Mm-hmm. Mad Max Mock. <laughs> Mad Max Mock. <laughs> the film that no, never it, was. <laughs> oh, the film that should have been. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think that uh, it has a great atmosphere to it. And, uh, you know, it's so different from a lot of the films at the time. I mean, Burning Paradise, you mentioned, has a very similar vibe. But this wasn't the this wasn't the imitator of that because it did come, right. come before, which is neat. Yeah, yeah. But like you, you know, it, you sit there and put this up against Once Upon a Time in China, and they couldn't be more different. Yep, and and I think it's a natural evolving nature of uh, a genre on repeat that some after a while someone wants to uh, do something different with it. 
it gets tires it gets tiresome to see the same uh, spinny stuff uh, despite the quality of it you know speaking of uh, Rosamund Kwan I mean it's not the kiss of death for a respected actress to do a category free film because uh, this is not her venture into softcore or anything so it, it's not a surprise to see her in a category free film it's uh, it's kind of expected to see her turn up in yet another wuxia style film mm-hmm. looking looking obviously very 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 elegant and uh, and i've always liked her as an actress it doesn't uh, it isn't apparent in every role but um she has feist and she has uh, a uh, sort of drop dead gorgeous playful nature to her that aided once upon a time in china so much as that woman that, that was hellbent on uh, making <laughs> wong fei hong realize that uh, she's into him big time and and <laughs> and, 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 and choi ha cra- crafts so many moments uh, I'm, I'm gonna get stuck on once upon a time in china too now there's a scene in it where she essentially professes her love for him in in the most uh, obvious way up to that point in the series and the look on jet lee is like what is this <laughs> like i've never uh, he doesn't understand it but it sinks in and then in the third film he's uh, way more comfortable with the fact that they are lovers and it adds comedic beats to to that as well because uh, his students kind of tease uh, Sifu about uh, him being uh, in love as well so Rosamund uh, is uh, is a good image for for the film but uh, she never no one really makes an emotional impact here and that includes her because the movie is so fast-tracked which I don't like but there is it becomes a little bit of a problem because I think Billy Chung wants to showed that that there is uh, emotional impact and character depth here but it should have settled down ever so slightly you know added maybe 10 minutes or something for the movie to truly settle down to to mean something as you know the se- the lovers are separated at the beginning and then reunited but it isn't about reuniting the lovers it's about settling seeing what life she has settled down into you have a protagonist who is, you know, just basically ice cold, keeps, you know, all emotion to himself throughout the whole movie. So we never get a scene that kind of explains the transition that happens towards the end of the film. Like, you don't really understand what's going on in his mind to, you know, basically give everything up for a woman that's already taken. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I appreciate the beats, but there, there there was this anxiousness to, I think, move move on from everything and quick into a new, fast, and yeah. quick, cool things. And he does, and they are quick, fast, cool things. But uh, at the expense of um, the the character depth falling a little bit flat, but it's very much appreciated, though, though it's not clunky, it's not unworthy and invalid, but it certainly doesn't... Uh, stick with you as such uh, but uh, i've seen movies be way more lazier and way more insecure about their w- when they settle down and show the the martial world being all about uh, living a quiet village family life and then w- when you're not exposed to all the bloody conflicts that goes on billy chung doesn't take long to separate the lovers to make the shang feng yi character a captor and then the category free rating happens so why don't you explain a little bit why do you think uh, the uh, graphic material you mentioned would warrant the category free rating is it that gross 
it's pretty damn gross. It is. I mean, you know, it's shot in that blue filter. You know, to me, I couldn't see that. And I had the lights on in the room and it was slight light glaze on the screen and stuff. So I couldn't see it. But I'm like, damn, are they really putting piercing this person's eyelids? You know, because it certainly looked pretty damn real. Those close-ups of the needles going through the eyelids, gnarly physical effects, but I was in the same boat as you. Is someone taking, uh, you know, yeah. ta- taking this for the production? But then I turn to you. You can't really do that. That's not responsible to do, right? Or if you're a really good medical partic- practitioner, you can do that risk-free. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that there's anything risk-free, but... Obviously, the aftermath when his eyes are sewn shut, obviously, that's a little bit of a makeup cake on right, on Shang Fingy. Yeah. But when the needles go in, I was in the same boat as you. I'm like, I think that might be real. <laughs> full, full, clo- full, full close up as well. Then they don't mime it, it's full close up uh, needle stuff here. The, those little punctures into the eyelid probably wouldn't harm anything in the long run or anything like that, of course. You know, you always have risks for infection and things, but uh, could it be done and not have any problems? Probably so. You'd probably be all right. And then quickly remove it after the shot is done. You wouldn't want to do 10 takes of that, of course. Right. But they did at least two, the bottom and the top. At least they show at least needles going through each one, you know. Ooh, that shit's rough. The the practical effect would have been, would have needed to be a bit more thicker. To go over uh, the performer's eye, eyes yeah. if, it, if it's Zhang yes. Fengi. But it looks so thin. Yes, that it does. The, the what they were sewing through, and the eye is right there. It's like that would be, I would be so impressed if that was faked somehow. But certainly, uh, I think that would warrant, regardless of what the audience has thought at that time, or this, or, or the person's uh, uh, setting the eighteen plus rating. It's a lot. It's more than these. Uh, movies uh, with their sort of uh, uh, you know blood splatters going here and there like they, it's more than these movies usually give us so I think that's where they solidified that whether they intended to or not uh, yeah, but it's certainly it's certainly uh, uh, so nice shot this uh, is a memorable image of the film that's for oh, sure yeah. uh, but, but it continues to sh- show that it's a well mounted film film there are attractive temple surroundings presumably all shot in china uh, all these uh, statues around the temple and everything's lit in blue and then when we get to the gladiator arena where they pit prisoner against prisoner and we get uh, gritty violence not category three violence but uh, to we we go so fast throughout these things there's very it becomes very um easy to watch to see the plot evolve in such a uh, hurry in a way i don't mind that at all uh, and there's no fanciful action really in the gladi- gladiator arena there's no one flying here there's no like the, these uh, deprived prisoners all of a sudden are not uh, they're, they're not spinning all of a sudden you know what i mean they're, because they're, they're presumably been starved quite a bit and uh, yeah yeah they have because they they lay out food for them and shang feng yi eats as much as he can to gain energy and to then try and emerge as a victor and therefore become this uh uh, assassin of the the royal uh, royal eunuch with uh, this uh, hairdo that looks like a uh, 
a paintbrush. He looked like uh, one of the crystal skulls from uh, <laughs> from from Indiana Jones, just uh, with all ha- white hair. I think uh, if we cut forward a little bit to the other gory selections here that might or might not have warranted a category three rating, I think we're a year or two away from the amendment of the of the rating uh, where they added category two A or B. So if we are, then I think some of the gore would have been fine in category two if you think about the assassin's first sort of gathered mission where they attack this village there's a lot of uh, practical effects here where for instance max mock runs through uh, runs his sword through a person and his uh, through his torso and his uh, lower half detaches from him as well in the process that stuff as uh, as much as i like it i don't think that would have uh, warranted uh, a higher rating uh, it's not uh, it's not gross as such you know right no, there's a, there's a lot of the decapitations, dismemberments and stuff aren't usually, there's like maybe a little splatter of blood, but they're not like, it's not like story of Ricky, you know, where like just gore galore and blood spraying everywhere. It, it's not that sort of uh, wusha. They, they do put it on screen though, but it isn't that uh, intense as you say, it isn't that graphic uh, uh, because there are there are decapitations throughout these. It's a little worse than like Chang Che, you know. It's like it's similar in the the type of violence, but a little bloodier than that. But uh, not story of Ricky. At times, though, I I do think the uh, some of the uh, subtext works quite well, despite the film moving quite fast. And I'm referring mostly to how Max Mock. Uh, narrates the film a little bit uh, from his position as I suppose an equal to Zhang Fengyi's character as someone who wants to climb the ladder but realizes there is a process to all of these things and uh, he I think he communicates that uh, at at one point he's fine with being the, the, the third on the list if you will because he's not supposed to be greater than that so there's a sign of respect there a sign of understanding his place as someone new amidst or this group of assassins that have been picked by uh, picked by, by the eunuch and yes the voice always a little bit rampant but I, I do appreciate that and especially when they go to that um, the the graveyard which isn't an organized cemetery or anything it seems like this uh, pit of bodies and this is going to sound so cheesy but I did like it where occasionally apparently Zhang Fengyi goes he, and he lights the place on fire just to feel the as the subtitles say the stink of the corpses to remind <laughs> himself of his humanity a little bit and it sounds so cheesy as I say it but it's not terribly made uh, it's terribly communicated combined with the way it is made as they stand in, in this fire pit if you will. it's a little emo <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, I, I assumed, I was like, well, maybe, I guess it's like a, uh, oh my God, what is it when you burn a body? Uh, help me out here. Crematorium. Yeah, I was thinking, well, maybe it's like a crematorium, I guess he goes to. But uh, if it is, it's it not seems a very like good a pile one. of bodies, really. <laughs> it's, it's not a structure. It it looks like the uh, scene in The Dark Knight where Joker lights the giant pile of money on fire. It's that, but with dead bodies and less fire so 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 that voiceover and that combination with those visuals it wasn't really um 
maturity that landed with you because you did mention emo <laughs> it's a little emo but i, I don't know I, I i'm willing to accept it you know i wasn't uh, put off or turned off by it i was just like oh, okay that's weird all right it has a little bit of something to say but uh in one in some ways it feels like a quick wuxia hit so a lot of things aren't lingered on as such the movie does a lot of like interesting like 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 you talk about this pace that it has and stuff. It, it seems to cut like there's some interesting edits throughout the film. Like at the beginning where the protagonist and you, Rosa Kwan, they're in the boat and everything like that. And we get this sequence where all these angry this angry mob is chasing them down and they throw harpoons essentially into the boat to pull our main man, Mr. Chop. They pull him out. And uh, but they you don't get a shot of like him being dragged in the water. You don't get a shot of him being pulled out of the water. You just get a shot that goes from picture of him. You know, here's him in the boat. Here's a harpoon flying through the air. Here's him falling from the boat. And now he's on land and they're bullying around him in a circle. So a lot of little pickups and stuff like that throughout the film that they just don't seem to have. And uh, it kind of contributes to that you know that pace of like we've got to go we've got to go next thing next thing you know at least it does for me i can definitely see that uh, because throughout the movie i I get this feeling that uh, it's maybe it doesn't have the patience or or time to um to do anything other than little quick hits here and there Uh, of course the violence and action is more extensive but little little quick hits of uh, drama but uh uh, still the structure is is fairly solid as yeah. he it's not poorly made at all no not, not at all i mean one of the best moments to be honest and we, here we're talking from a narrative standpoint is we're doing the second mission that involves uh ultimately we don't know maybe they don't know they know our target is going to be in this uh sedan chair and it turns out as they rip the covers of that uh, thing or the roof of that thing that the target is a child i don't know if you noticed it you it's certainly something you perhaps need me to rewatch. that shang feng yi's character he only stops because a woman yes calls for him he doesn't stop at the sight of the child so uh, as much humanity humanity is in him it seems like he was very willing to splice the head up, uh, split the head open of that child, but he only stops when he hears Rosamund Kwan's character call his name. Yeah, you know our uh, synopsis above, you know, didn't it said that he had uh, he'd stopped because of the child or what have you or something similar to that. And yeah, no, that's not what stopped him. It was Rosamund Kwan hearing that familiar voice calling out his, uh, you know, legal name or what have you. They they begin calling him at least in the subtitles of the version we watched uh, Tong Chop. <laughs> so what do you do then well let me show you <laughs> <laughs> i chop people in half and uh so yeah when she hears uh his given name i forget what it was uh sanpo or something like that when she hear when he hears that along with the familiar voice that's what ultimately stops him from doing his dirty work he he's good to have in those moments of realization uh, he's a very good actor uh obviously very, very accomplished uh but uh, not this uh, so stuck-up mainland Chinese actor who only does proper films, proper art films. I mean, we, we talked about the year he had that, you know, it was shared between this and Farewell, My Concubine. 
it's been a very long time since I've seen that, but I, I, I did like it back in the day. And he's certainly part of that trio that makes that film. But uh, he's very good to having those moments of realization that, uh, you know, that, that she's there again and uh, where his sort of humanity lies. If it's there, if it's awakened or not, then he can do that through uh, nonverbal means, being an accomplished actor. And uh, even in those uh, village sections, the, the, the downtime away from the martial world that he attempts, he, he's very good for uh, reacting to... The, the, there's a scene where a, he helps out at a horse's uh, birth, a troublesome birth, and he helps out using his sword. And then he's, uh, he's shocked at the reaction of a good deed done. He doesn't quite, he doesn't, it's like a syntax error in his head. <laughs> I, I just used my sword for the thing. He, did, he obviously didn't slay the, 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 the horse or the, the newly born. But it's very interesting for a while there. I know we, we, we say that he moves fast and he does, but those moments do linger with me. So someone who's been so desensitized doesn't really understand good or bad. It's whether he, whether he uses, uh, even if he uses his sword. And that's not a bad thing to have in a wuxia film in a year that's been preceded by years of tons of these films, uh, of, uh, of the high-flying YFU films. Um, and that's, uh, that's very good. But, but it all comes back to the fact that we're out of these sections quite fast, though. We're, we're back into the conflict of it all because, uh, you know, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. It's that, uh, it's that structure. But it's not bad. It's not. It's not bad at all. He's not a terrible director. Not at all. He's a workmanlike director, of course. Who works a lot. But those moments mean that means that he's got a handle on some some maturity that's appreciated in what is a genre piece, rated category three to boot. We we don't we rarely get to talk of such eloquent maturity in these films. So. <laughs> Uh, the, the action that we do get, uh, does anything stand out as such? Because there, there is fight action eventually, uh, especially when Max Mock and Shang Feng Yi towards the end of the film face off. Uh, anything that stood out, or it seems like it's uh, same old flying wise stuff? No, I, I would say that while it does have a good bit of like flying, you know, people jumping on top of four story buildings and whatnot. It's definitely not Fong Sai-yuk. It's definitely not uh, Once Upon a Time in China. The fight sequences have their elegance, but honestly, they kind of remind me more of, uh, and in some ways, at least the big fights for sure, remind me more of like a samurai film. You know, we talk about the you know the big showdowns and stuff like that. While there is a little bit of back and forth, they're usually, they're over much quicker than you would see in a lot of the other films of this period. You know, it's like, boom, 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 you made a mistake, boom, now you're headless. Yeah, I agree, because even their fight, uh, because it, it leads to that eventually. Not that he, uh, Max Mock is the bad guy, he isn't, uh, uh, that's the eunuch. But some of the better action is in their fight towards the end of a desert, where they uh, use this uh, lizard to good effect. Uh, they found a lizard, so let's shoot it. <laughs> let's have it in the frame. <laughs> uh, but but some of the better action is in that they they, they start in a shack, I believe, and, and there there are some good grounded exchanges and some some very smoothly integrated uh, taking flight types of beats and some good p- 
posing shots with those with you know with with, with those uh, not peculiar but uh, distinctive sword designs and obviously Max Monk's uh, long hair and those look cool and it's also in the desert with uh, all dead trees trees and sun and sand and it's all dirty as you said post apocalyptic in a way which uh, makes uh, for a good setting for these films uh, granted it looks like they just went out into the desert but it makes for an atmospheric uh, setting for a fighting uh, for me you mentioned the swords some of the swords in this look like they'd be out of like dark souls or something like that they it's I a don't very know what dark souls is <laughs> it's a game 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 is it like pac-man it's <laughs> it's like galaga is it an RPG action game fighting game? Uh, yeah, it's an extremely difficult uh, RPG-ish adventure game, I guess you'd say. I'm not going to play it now. They're known for their extreme difficulty, but they have this very gothic western vibe, you know. And uh like there's the Max Mox sword has it, it looks like a combination between a sword and a like an axe you know a you know the edge is completely flat there's no point to it and it's just almost like a japanese handsaw i don't know if you ever saw one of those but a straight i don't know i don't know if i'm explaining this well but basically it's a very different type swords are not the not what you expect to see in a wuxia film it, it adds to that atmosphere, I would say. Yeah. And you mentioned Gothic, by the way. We're not going to spoil it, but I think the ending is rather splendid. As as we said, it's the eunuch that's the villain. So the the eunuch is uh, his main sort of tool and a way to gain advantage is to roam this uh, open hall with a lot of pillars, but he stays in the dark. And then he throws out these chain blades coming out of the darkness, Hellraiser style. Yeah. That that pierces Zhang Fengyi continually. And that's the sort of setup of the final fight that uh, he needs to not be struck from all four sides, I suppose, and therefore be exposed. Uh, but that looks excellent. I love that stuff. That That, that was dark well done as well. Uh, I'm sure it's not the new filmmaking tricks, but that really looked cool. And that made, uh, for, for a character that we just see as the funny-haired eunuch, be, becomes this sort of monstrous roaming force that he needs to uh, orchestrate the comeback against uh, by avoiding these uh, these things coming out of the dark. Very well done. Uh, uh, but, but, but also not a fight scene that uh, lasts for 10 minutes. It knows it has, has a concept and it can execute that well, but it doesn't need to run for um, for a reel and that was uh set up really well because of a previous scene where his concubines had tried to poison him and we we basically see him tear them to shreds in the same setting you know so we know how dangerous this area is and you know our protagonist is there now and you know is, how's he gonna survive this etc yeah i think i think that that's the scene you mentioned is probably the second scene that yeah, it kind of will sneak into category three because yeah. he, he splits open this god you know uh uh tears her apart tear apart <laughs> literally so um, that's uh, for mood, action, content, and style. It sort of reigns supreme in that scene. So really, uh, both of those scenes, I really like those. 
uh, and then and then it's over. It's all fine. It's acceptable. And uh, what what it attempted is uh, valid and valiant, even if it doesn't uh, end on an emotional uh, high or achieves any emotional high. But it's, there, there's no shame in trying this. Not at all. It's not clunky. It's just that it doesn't um, get us uh, by uh, you know displaying the, the heart that it does. It does so a little bit too fast. But I do like it. Uh, it uh, it's got plenty of imagery to keep it busy, and then it's over. So uh, that's not a bad thing, not at all. Uh, so that's all I have to say. Anything else you want to say? I think this is. I really like this movie. This is one that uh, definitely can go in the rewatch pile at some point. Parts of it that uh, aren't perfect, <laughs> in some ways, kind of reminds me. Not just because of the like desert. Uh, mentality or whatever but uh oh shoot i just forgot the name of the movie what's the name of that movie with uh you may not have ever seen it i don't know but uh ah buddy holly in the desert six string samurai there it is okay uh like a low budget and it has a lot of issues but at the end of the day it's like damn i kind of like that i just i want to watch that again yeah it's a movie that yes it wants to be part of this ongoing trend of uh new wave kung fu but does some of its uh, own things and provide unique imagery. This wasn't uh, part of a long line of Burning Paradise-esque films. I think this is harder to do. I also think it's uh, it's not necessarily likable in the eyes of audiences to provide this sort of anti-view of the martial world that uh, isn't like the popular Jet Li films. But it's definitely stuff that I uh, appreciate more and more in retrospect now Now that you add up what those years uh, were about and what kind of films came out of it. Uh, so it's certainly a unique piece uh, along with uh, Burning Paradise and The Blade, I'd say. As for availability then, uh, The Assassin had a little bit of a strange life on home video. Uh, it was only available uncut without uh, subtitles uh, on the Star Hong Kong Laserdisc. Most editions, like the Hong Kong Winson DVD and the Tai Seng Special Editions, were missing a few minutes. And not of graphic materials as such, but there is a scene, and we watched the uncut version, but we've added custom subtitles. There is a scene uh, that happens, I believe, after the first shared mission of all the assassins that involves uh, drinking to the Emperor's health. And there's a little bit of uh, power play going on between the three top assassins and it ends up with Zhang Feng Yi getting drunk him and Max Mock walk off and then they they actually walk to said uh, uh, cemetery with uh, all the bodies and uh, the crematorium if you will that scene isn't in for instance the Tai Seng version oddly enough it cuts together very well because it cuts from one of those shoot uh, 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 shoot the, the training with the swords between two people against a, a uh, sunset yeah. to the scene in the cemetery. So you wouldn't wow. fucking know that there was something in between there. But there's a good five minutes missing for, for whatever reason from those two uh, DVD editions, uh, including the Tai Seng special edition. But the laser disc was uncut. The HD version that is floating around, probably like an on-demand thing that isn't the English friendly does have that scene uh, so that cut version if you will is awfully short it's like 77 minutes meaning that this was not a long movie from from the beginning 
Uh, that Taisang DVD has say special edition and it has an, has an audio commentary on it. So it's not like they produced any retrospective uh, interviews with uh, cast and crew or anything. Uh, but uh, it had uh, redone subtitles at the time, which surely helps for these kind of things. So um, uh, there was also a world video DVD that had burned in subtitles, uh, but I believe that was uh, cut as well. But both are available secondhand, and uh, it's uh, cheaper to get the world video DVD. Tysang's DVD isn't terribly priced either, and the HD version floating around online is uncut. So if you don't need English subtitles, there might be a free stream somewhere. And hopefully this will uh, get some kind of disc release in the future that is English uh, friendly. Did you say the HD version was uncut? Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, okay. uh, so, um, so these scenes weren't uh, lost necessarily, and, and I think it belongs there. But it, uh, it's just that it cuts together so well on the cut version that you you wouldn't know. It's not like there's kind of a, a loud sort of choppy oral and uh, cut there where you go like, hey. Like I heard something, <laughs> so it it it's kind of it's smoothly done, and you wouldn't miss it. This uh, because because the conflict between the three swordsmen, you get it in this short package that there are three three assassins uh, competing for the top, and maybe Xiang Fengyi's character isn't really keen to go to the top as a matter of fact, but he's he's part of the top three. Okie uh, dokie, we we are planning to to revisit the category three wuxia film. So we're going to stop the fucking fucking right now, but we'll be back to talk of Slave of the Sword. So we're hitting on a theme maybe for two episodes here. It's from Taiwan's Chu Yanping, Golden Queen's Commando, Island of Fire and all that good stuff. It stars the late Pauline Chan. It features recycled action footage from the Michelle Yeoh, Donnie Yen movie Butterfly and Sword that Chu Yanping produced. So there, 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 there's a lot of uh, footage uh, of stunt performers doing uh, spinny spinny stuff, you know, that they that they uh, entered into Slave of the Sword that also stars Max Mock. But it's uh, quite an elegant looking uh, looking film and it's um, it's the it's the martial world with some added nudity. So uh, that one will have nudity. We're back. We're back to nudity. <laughs> We're back. But I remember it looking very, very splendid and she looking um, very, very splendid in Slave of the Sword. So um, that's kind of what we're... Um, doing we, we might not have any production tidbits to look up but i think it's worth acknowledging that uh, the category free rating uh, wasn't all about modern clunky boring softcore film starring or not starring charlie show there there, there there was some actual uh, productions out there that uh, went for the popular genre combined with an 18 plus uh, rating so slave of the sword coming up uh, coming up next so um we're going to finish this episode off. So uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Find us wherever podcasts are available. This week in Sleaze or type in Podcast on Fire network and you'll find uh, all our other shows uh, in a sort of gathered feed, I suppose. Um, and uh, in the future, we might uh, revisit some more true life crime as well. Uh, movies I've seen, I wasn't available um, uh, I, I wasn't aware of them being based on true life crime, so I'd like to dive in in the future into a movie like and and this title is so <laughs> it, ma- it makes me chuckle, but it's quite a grim film. It's something called Suburb Murder. <laughs> Suburb Murder, like amidst all the white fences and things like that. I don't know. There's murder. 
in the suburbs. So we'll uh, we'll get to do that. But uh, thank you uh, to Joshua for participating again. Uh, do you want to plug your YouTube channel once more? Weird Cinema on YouTube. And uh, check him out. Give him a give him a, a ding the bell and give him give him a give him a subscribe, thumbs up, and uh, uh, a nice comment of because his uh, documentary work is. Uh, is uh, all good uh, and well researched stuff. Heck, even uh, a cast member that wasn't in many IFD films I know. Yeah. reached out to you and said that uh, this was fun. Uh, what a trip down memory lane. Man, what a trip. So uh, you're doing something right. So good on you, Joshua. Uh, so that's us signing off. I've been Sleaze Gay and with me was the great Lord Joshua Regal. Say goodbye to the kids. Bye, kids. Don't sew your eyes shut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> try, try not to, please.